All right. It's an impromptu cost cost. We're back after a long summer of, of not very much, although, Bernie, you, you very kindly did a couple of uh, preview pods on your own while we were all off in, in various places. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, I thought I thought I would have time to do a lot more of them. Uh, well, the window is not yet done, and I know I got a a friend of ours who wants to do a Juventus preview. So maybe we'll Ooh. we'll sneak that in because they've they yeah, that would be in business. That that would be interesting. There is a lot of anger uh, from Juventus fans towards their club right now. So you should definitely try and get that in. Uh, but for now, previewing the Premier League clubs. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Today, the transfer window shut for, for the British team, so a lot of stuff has gone down. There is a lot to talk about. Where would you like to start? Well, well, before we get into the individual clubs themselves, um, mm. one of my friends who's trying to get into football said, can you explain a transfer to me? Um, so I think maybe, I mean, most of our listeners will know, but just people who understand, if you're into North American sports, players don't often get traded. Right. It's, it's usually financial compensation that's paid to from one club to another in order to break a contract and then get the player over to you. So money exchanges hands. Players don't players have more of a choice in football, I would say, than in, you know, the North American sports for the most. Part, yeah, anyway. absolutely. I mean, if a club wants to sell a player, um, you know, if, if they say to the player, you're not going to play again for this club then usually the player will move. Occasionally a player can say, absolutely, I'm not going, or I don't want to go to the club that, that has made a bid for me, and then that can produce an awkward situation. But yeah, for the most part, they have the choice. Yeah, yeah. And typically, there's a, you know, we have a transfer deadline and all that, and that's exactly what happened today. Today was, mm-hmm. uh, at least for the Premier League's concerned, the transfer uh, deadline day. And... Typically, we watch Sky Sports News and Jim White gets on his high horse and says a bunch of stuff about, oh, look at, you know, I, I don't like this guy anymore. He, he, he makes a show all about him, but that's, that's yep. one thing. Um, and the Premier League window shuts, well, shut today, while the rest of Europe has three or f- effectively three more weeks to make signings. I'm not a fan of that. What about, what, what do you think, Alex? Uh in principle, in principle, I am a fan of it. I think your squad should be finalized before the start of the season. I think managers prefer it because they know who they've got. They know they're not going to lose uh, you know, a key piece a couple of weeks into the season. Uh, you don't have players start, you know, playing. We had it with Samir Nazari a few years ago when he transferred to Manchester City from Arsenal two weeks into the season. He'd already played a couple of games for Arsenal. It was just, it, it's just weird. The problem is obviously that the other European clubs have until the end of August, I think, to complete their transfers. So it kind of puts the English clubs at a little bit of a disadvantage. On the other hand, the English clubs have so much more money than everyone else that maybe they, they do need a little bit of a handicap. <laughs> I, I, I see where you're going with the handicap thing. It's not, it's not a bad shout. It's just that the, the la- I agree with everything you said. It is useful for managers to have their squads. Ideally, to be honest, you would have this wouldn't be three days before the season starts. It would be a week, you know, so that yeah. managers can get their players in. The deadline is there, and then you can start integrating people, uh, maybe even a preseason friendly here and there, stipulated, something like that. But the way it stands in England, uh, three days before the, before the season starts, the window closes, and then foreign clubs can still uh, take your players. Like, for example, we'll get into it later, but Manchester United 
are saying Paul Pogba won't leave, and I don't think he will. They can't replace him now. But what do you do if you get, let's just say, a random number, 200 million for him? What, what do you then do? Do you just tank the season and say, forget about it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if Arsenal are building their team around um, you know, some wonderful players, but if Barcelona say, uh, you know what, Lacazette, you're looking pretty good right now. 150. It's like, all right, here we go. <laughs> Our plans are in tatters now. That's that's the part that, that that gets me that I don't really like. I understand. I I do think over the next few years, probably the other big European leagues will kind of fall into line with this. But uh, yeah, I'd be surprised if they didn't. But we'll see. Yep. Yep. All right, so where, where do you want to start in, uh, in the Premier League? Do you want to start on a happy note or do you want to start on an angry note? Because well, the anger is going to be me and the happiness is going to be you. Okay. So you, you, you get to okay. pick. I, I'm feeling happy right now, so, let, so let, me, let me roll with it. Because all right. uh, it's also alphabetical. We'll start with Arsenal. Um, Arsenal have had, bizarrely, a really good deadline day. And I know that somewhat depends on your opinion of David Luiz. And the two of us very much differ on what, what we think of it. <laughs> but listen, when you put up with five years of Skodra and Mustafi, anything looks good. Yes, yes, true. Very true. I'll give you that. And uh, given we lost, uh, you know, club captain, experienced central defender, Laurent Koscielny, um a few days ago, Arsenal desperately needed another centre-back and ideally one with experience and some leadership qualities. And I think... David Luiz, uh, despite having a mistake in him, has, has both of those things. Yeah, okay. We'll start with David Luiz, I guess, because he's the one that came in last, technically. Yeah. Um, I think considering he fell into your lap, that's a good deal. All round, I think it's a good deal. You know, yesterday, all was, it came out of nowhere. Literally, he got a, yeah. into a fight with Lampard and said, I'm off. Lampard said, screw it. Let's do this. And Arsenal could not believe their luck. And you get an exper- experienced centre-back who's, let's say, proven at, at the top level. You know, PSG, Chelsea, won the league. Won, uh, I think, was he there for the Champions League or so? I, think I can never was. remember when he went back and forth between... Uh, no, I think he was, because he joined Chelsea in 2011 and they won it in 2012, right? So I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, where... So in that in that context, I think it's a really good signing. The only thing I would say is it is still that very opportunistic Arsenal signing, a little bit like Socrates, where you go, you know what, you're pretty good and you're pretty cheap. Let's do that. There isn't much yeah. ambition about it in terms of is it does he make Arsenal's defense better than any of the top six? Still no. So in that oh, context, no, no. yes. <laughs> no, he doesn't make it better than any of the top six. He makes it a bit better than it was compared to itself. Um, yes. But, but, yeah, compared to the, the rest of the top six, the defense is still pretty shaky. I mean, um, Bellerin and, and, well, we'll get on to Kieran Tierney, who's another signing today, 25 million, um, an excellent young Scottish left back they bought from Celtic. Those two are very good fullbacks, but they're both injured till about October. So you're still looking at a back four that includes, until then, Maitland-Niles at right back, and uh, one of Monreal, who is slow, or Kolasinac, who is dumb, at left back. Um, and then I suppose Socrates will partner David Luiz in, in the centre, but you've also got Callum Chambers and Rob Holding. But before we, before we go on, I just wanted to comment on 
how short selling David Luiz leaves Chelsea at centre-back because it's actually mental. All yeah, they have left is Antonio is, Rudiger, yeah. Andreas Christensen, uh, Kurt Zuma, and Fikayo Tomori, who is promising but a youth player, essentially. Where, where was Fikayo? Was he playing on loan somewhere? Yes. I forget where now. Possibly Derby, actually. Okay. Yeah, no, they're, they're very, very short at the back. And Christensen didn't play at all last season, really. Yeah. Uh, Rudiger is just bad, as far as I'm concerned. And then Kurt Zuma was at Everton. So it's not just short. It's a very uncertain back four, as far <laughs> the, the, the way I see it. Maybe with Socrates having a year and David Luiz being experienced, and if you can, and when, once Bellerin comes back, maybe you actually have a better defense Actually, no, you don't still, but it's closer. It's closer than, than, than Chelsea because my, my problem with your defense and, and Tierney, I think, I think he's a good player. I, he's, the, he's been at Champions League level, done the business. Last two seasons, though, he has been pretty injury prone. Um, and he, Alex, you know my pet peeve, okay? <laughs> he's better than Kolasinac at everything in football, but... He's not a good defender. And I know it's going to be the same old thing Bernie says, but Tierney is not that good at the actual... Robertson really is better at defending than Tierney. That's why Tierney does not start over Robertson for Scotland. And then you have your sleeve, Mm. David Luiz, to clean up. Ooh, that's scary to me. I'm not sure either of us has seen enough of Kieran Tierney to say he's bad at defending. Well, when I see him getting, I guess my experience of Tierney is seeing him get absolutely rinsed every week in the Champions League, which is no barometer for Celtic. I, get, <laughs> I, I, I give you that. I give you that. But his, just the style of play for him, I don't know. He's we'll, an attacking we'll fullback, for sure. Very much so. Very much so. But I, I, that's not a knock on him. I, I actually like the player a lot. And I think in the system that Arsenal are going to play, he makes a lot of sense. Kolasinac could not put a ball into the box or dribble past the man at all. So, he, so he, he should be game. relegated to, to bodyguard. Like we've seen that that is where his talents lie. That's what he needs to stick to. Yes, yes. Yeah. He was not a good sign. I mean, on paper, coming from Germany, I think he was defender of the year or something like that. It made a lot of sense then. He has not shown up. And this is, this is an upgrade 100%, 100%. I, I think that tells you about the standard of defending in Bundesliga. So that, that's another thing, right? Like, a lot of people, certain players are coming to the Premier League and being found out. And I know that sounds arrogant, because a lot of people who will tell you the German league, you know, Germany's better than England, which is true. German coaching is better than England, which is also true. But players come to, like, for example, Reese Nelson, uh, yep. Is he still on? Is he still um, an Arsenal player, or is he been? Yeah, he, he's totally? staying. He's staying with Arsenal. Okay, so he went on loan, smashed it. Uh, Lookman went on loan before, smashed it. Jaden Sancho smashed it. But a lot of German players are coming over and having a very hard time in England. That's not a definitive statement at all, but it's something that I'm starting to wonder. It's bubbling underneath there for me. Is it that I, it's not that great, or what? I have I have been suspicious of this for a long time. I think you're probably right. Uh, Mkhitaryan smashed the Bundesliga. Came over here, looks like an absolute peasant. Um, for two Kagawa, teams, unfo- unfortunately, the same. Uh, yeah, for two teams. Um, I think honestly, I think the Bundesliga is 
a high quality in terms of high quality in terms of technical attacking talent, but I don't think it's necessarily a good preparatory league for the Premier League. I think League A is a lot more physical and seems to prepare players better for the transition. Right, right. And we'll, we'll get there, but there's a certain club that, that really, really wanted to sign Jaden Sancho this season, and I suspect if they can improve themselves, they will sign Jaden Sancho next year. Do, should that scare people? <laughs> or or, or is, is, is he it? I, I think he's it. I think there are some talents that, that rise above, and uh, I think we've also seen from... I mean, it's only a few minutes that really that he's played for England, but we've seen we've seen how effective and dangerous he can be. So I think if Manchester United, who I think you, I believe you're talking about, do manage to sign him next season for nine hundred million, then I think you've got a real player on your hands. But right. um, let's let's finish off the the Arsenal stuff. Um, going moving up the pitch, they've loaned Danny Ceballos uh, from Real Madrid, which I think is one of the most exciting signings actually because. Central midfield has been a massive problem for Arsenal. And mostly I'm talking about Granit Xhaka. <laughs> and it's very likely that Granit Xhaka will be made captain. So I don't see that Ceballos is necessarily replacing him, but he's a wonderful option to have. And he raises the, the technical level of, of Arsenal central midfield. And he's a player who takes people on. He will dribble. He'll go by a person. And that is key. We have had no dribblers really in the squad, apart from Alex Iwobi, who just got sold for a long time. Yeah, I, I really, really like this player. Um, watching a little bit of Real Madrid, not too much. Uh, watching a bit of the under-21s. Again, it's a different level, but whatever. When you're, to me, when you're a standout player, you're a standout player. Uh, he's very, very technically gifted. And I think, I think he's going to be a good signing. Where this kind of falls apart is there, it's a loan and no purchase option. So it, it, I'm seeing a trend which is really exciting signings that are incredibly stopgap. And I'm not sure, like, maybe we should look at it one season at a time and that's fine. But if Danny Ceballos tears it up for Arsenal this season, he's not coming back next season. <laughs> Real Madrid are going to keep him or they're going to extort you for a lot of money. And, I mean, it's a win-win for Real Madrid either way. It could be, a, it could be risky for you even though I really rate this player. No, that, that's a that's a very good point. If he if he tears it up, Real Madrid, you know, may just take him back, and I think ultimately that's what he wants. Um, equally, if he tears it up, everyone and their and their dog is going to bid for him, right? Like he'll be a he'll, he'll be open season on Danny Ceballos. What Arsenal have to hope is that he does well enough that Arsenal wants to keep him, possibly not well enough that Real Madrid wants to bring him back, and he forms some kind of attachment to the club and Emery or you know other players while he's there but we'll see and and all this is predicated on arsenal finishing in the top four because then that gives you more money that you and a bigger yeah. budget because we know your budget is or we did know your budget i don't know Raul recently he's a bit of a liar here but your budget is supposedly <laughs> tied to where you finish in, in champions league or europa league and you would imagine if you finish in Champions League, there's more money that possibly you could use to actually make that signing permanent, uh, depending on how he does. Yes, absolutely. And and just on the budget, I'm just adding things up here. So uh, it was six million for Martinelli. It was 27 for um, William Saliba, who joins 
uh, next season because he's gone back on loan to Saint Etienne. Mm-hmm. Um, it was twenty five for Tierney and eight for David Luiz, um, and that comes to sixty six. Now, really, for the first did you, year, did you you're, only, Pepe, you're yeah. only well. I'm just for the first year because that's an installment. This okay. year, that's only about twelve million for Pepe allegedly. So. If the budget was supposed to be 45, it's actually been closer to 80. Okay. Give or take. Give or take. So, I wonder, I mean, do you think that was deliberate to try and keep prices down to, to, from Arsenal to kind of publicly state that they had such a shit budget? Well, let me ask you this. Well, you haven't taken into account. Now, do these budgets consider a net spend? Because you just sold it will be for 45. I don't know, but... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> do, that's do that true. math and you're right on your 45 million. <laughs> that's true. Although the only thing is I really don't think that was planned. I don't think anyone thought we were going to sell a Wobie for 40 million. Fair. I, I, I thought you would get 20 max. That, that is a madness. Yeah, yeah. That is actual yeah. madness. It really is. And just to address it for a second, like he's obviously an Arsenal boy. So some people are attached to him. Uh, Mohamed absolutely hates him. Um, there is a bit of sadness in that you don't really like losing, you know, a, a homegrown player. Uh, that said, some people say he stood out last season. He did, but he stood out from a, a pile of, of, of garbage, basically. He was, he was one of Arsenal's better players, but that really wasn't saying much. And really, he has very little productivity in the final third in terms of goals and assists. Uh, when you bring in someone like Nicolas Pepe and you have Reese Nelson coming back, and for some reason, Mkhitaryan is still there, so you need to do something with him. I guess you need to make space. And Everton just offered up 40 million. And, and Arsenal fans don't really care as much about youth players as, as some other clubs would. I, I found that very interesting. Uh, and Alex Iwobi probably, probably, if you think about proper youth, because Ramsey's not that, Wilshire was that, um, I, I feel like he's been the furthest along. Since, since who who's a good youth prospect well, you since had? Since Wilshire, really. Well, okay, let's go before Wilshire because Wilshire did like that, that. He didn't even have the chance because he was injured all the time. Uh, Ashley, Cole. Ashley Cole. Wow. Okay, that's a long time. And even him, he yeah. was one out of like I don't know how many because Wenger didn't have that many. He brought them all from France. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's not really a culture at the club. So I understand why a lot of fans are very interested in seeing young players go. Um, but one of the guys that, that, that really made that happen is Nicola Pepe. Uh, mm-hmm. bringing, bringing him in, then someone was leaving. <laughs> and whether it was Ozil yeah. or Iwobi or Mkhitaryan, it was going to be one of those three. Regardless, their playing time is going to be diminished as far as I'm concerned. The, the, uh, Danny Ceballos, I think he starts. Well, maybe not in the beginning. Ozil probably starts, and once Ozil messes up, which he will, Danny Sabas will take over. Um, Pepe is definitely starting with Aubameyang and Lacazette. Um, so if you're trying to make space for Ozil in the team, it's not going to be in the front three. Forget it. It's not going to happen. Megatarian is going to go to the reserves, whatever. Um, but Nicola Pepe, this one surprised a lot of people, not because... like if, if someone tells me who can offer more wages, which is what happened in the end between Napoli and um, Arsenal, it's going to be Arsenal. That's, to me, that, that's a fact. But no one knew you had the money to begin with. 
And that that's where this really shocked a lot of people. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I, I had never, you know, until a couple of days before this happened, which is when the story broke, I did not think that Arsenal were were in for for Nicola Pepe. I didn't think that was a realistic transfer because of the fee that was being talked about. Um, that said, what I've learned since is that Arsenal and Napoli were actually the only two clubs that made formal bids. Uh, Leo uh, apparently offered him a round and were you know, linking him to this club and that club to drive up the price. But Arsenal and Napoli were the only two that actually came in with anything. And I think for a young... I, there is definitely an appeal to Francophone players for Arsenal. That, has, that seems to have stuck around post-Benga, post-Henri. That, that link is still there, that kind of cultural link. Um, another thing that I will say is that if you're a young uh, black player, Serie A does not look that enticing to you right now. Yep. Um, Premier League, in terms of coverage, in terms of money, in terms of you know, reputation, is obviously a, a better shot. So when it comes down to the two clubs that actually bid for him, then it's not a surprise. But given the reputation he had and given how hyped he was and how much talk there was about Nicola Pepe, it's surprising to me that bigger clubs didn't make a bid, especially when you're looking at someone like Bayern Munich who have spent all summer trying to sign a winner. Where, where, where this does surprise me is, um, yes, yeah, so as you said, Bayern Munich have been trying to sign a winger all summer. They really went all in on the Leroy Sané thing, but they were one of the first links to Nicola Pepe. They didn't pull the trigger on that. Then Pepe's people came out very boldly and said he wants to go to a Champions League team. They made no qualms about that. They made that very, very clear. So when Arsenal link came out and thought, eh, first, they don't have the money. Second, that's not what he said he wants to do. So the Napoli link just seemed very, very obvious. They even went there and actually met them in Napoli and the pictures are all there. So everyone thought that was done. Um, mm. I, I agree with the whole um, the racism black player thing, which is why Lukaku to enter is strange in a sense, but not strange in another, another sense because of Conte. But I do think he took it into consideration. I do also think he takes into consideration um, Aubameyang, Lacazette, because they are French-speaking players. Um, uh, Aubameyang, particularly African, I'm sure they get along. I'm sure they've had discussions. Um, it, people don't realize actually how small the footballing community is. Everyone knows each other. Um, yeah. But that's 3.5 million to 5 million. That's a big jump. And that, and that is what, what happened. His agents wanted 5 million. Napoli said 3.5. Arsenal said, we'll give you five. Now, I'm not saying that he joined for money. Far from it. I think they're for other things, but he'd be stupid, just stupid, not to, not to look at that 1.5 million um, pounds a year and say, eh, you know, what are you going to do, Napoli? Like, what do you want to do? Like, I, I think yeah. that made, it makes a lot of sense. I think something else to consider, which is something that we've joked about for a long time, which is that once you sign for Napoli, it's really hard to leave. I mean, look at Koulibaly. It took Hansik like a decade to get out of that club. Insigne is still there. Uh, it's a tough place to leave, man. So you have to be really committed or forget about it. Oh, Koulibaly. The, 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 they, they, you know, De Laurentiis, some people you think they're joking when they say we're putting a hundred million price tag on this guy, you think, ah, we, we can negotiate him down. <laughs> you can't. He's, he's absolutely serious. <laughs> yep. The he's, man's he's nuts. Seriously. He's absolutely nuts. So anyway. bravo to Arsenal for seeing that because honestly, there are a lot of clubs that could have used that type of player. 
um, in my opinion. And to see the opportunity, that's where a good director of football comes in. They're able to see an opportunity and grab it because this, yeah. it, it's going to be – I mean, his stats are – last season he got 22 league goals um, in 30 appearances, second highest scorer behind Mbappe. And the season before he got 13. So and the season before he got seven. I can see progression here. And it's a good chance now in a team that's going to be free-flowing and attacking and with a lot of creativity to get a lot more. So it's, uh, I, th- I think that's a really, really, really good signing there. I'm excited. All right. Uh, I think that does Arsenal. Um, let's go to – I was going to go to Spurs, but Spurs links me to United, so I'm just going to get angry and start with United right now. <laughs> All right. Where do you want to go? Uh, okay, so there, there are a couple things that, that I'll, I'll, I'll say here. The first is I was absolutely furious. In fact, this whole window, I've not slept very well, okay? I've just been refreshing Twitter before I sleep every night, and um, I've been obsessed with it like I've been obsessed with no other window because, to me, this was a very critical window for Manchester United. Uh, Let me interject and just say we've, we've all noticed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, my, I, I took it upon myself on Twitter to f- sieve through the fake news and tell people what's what. Because I was kind of getting upset with people saying, oh, man, we're in for this person, in for this person. A lot of it was, was, was trash. One thing that we do know in the window is the media link United to players because they know United want players. And a lot of them are not true. Um, case in point, um, Manchester United, in my opinion, desperately needed a midfielder. Are we, are we doing United right now? Let's do it. Sorry? Are we doing United right now? Yes, yes. Okay, all right. Yeah. So United definitely needed a center midfielder. Um, whether or not Pogba stayed, I wanted another one um, to alleviate pressure because Pogba is the sole creative force in that team as far as I'm concerned. Um, needed another one. And Bruno Fernandes was linked with this team for months. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I, <laughs> to the point that I watched every single video on Bruno Fernandes. I watched the, the uh, Portuguese Super Cup, okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's how far I went. And I fell in love with this, with this guy. I was ready. I was He's there. Very good. He is an amazing football player. But United kept briefing the media week after week that they were not in- in- interested, which I didn't know if it was, you know, a, a fake or, or, or not. I, I couldn't tell. So it was a very, very weird window. And then there were Minkovic Savage stuff, Pogba wanting to leave, uh, all sorts of things. And United did not end up signing a center midfielder. Most people say part is because Sporting Lisbon said we want 70 million euros for Fernandez, and both United and Spurs said no, that's excessive. I think you still pull the trigger on that, if if that's me. Yeah, I think- absolutely. Look, it, it, I, I don't see how you're morally okay with 80 million for Maguire and not okay with 70 million for Bruno Fernandez, who's by all accounts an absolutely wonderful footballer. Something, something is suspicious about this, though, to me, which is that he, as you said, he has been linked to United and other clubs all summer. Right at the beginning of summer, in May, Manchester City, there were reports came out, Manchester City were on the verge of signing him. It was pretty much all done, right? And then mm-hmm. at the last second, it got cancelled. And that was dodgy at the time. And then we've gone through the rest of the summer with him being linked to numerous clubs and 
hasn't ended up happening that he hasn't gone anywhere. I mean, okay. there's, there's still the possibility, I guess, that he could go to a, a European club in the next couple of weeks, but he hasn't been linked to any. It got to the point with him where sporting could not move him anywhere that they actually brought in George Mendes to be a third party to help push his transfer. And still nothing has happened. Wow. So I agree with you. It, it, it's one of the things where on the surface I go, just pay the money. I, I, that's why I think. But then as you just rightly brought up, there are so many different things. And if they had to bring in George Mendes to make this happen, what is wrong with the player or sporting Lisbon that has made this not happen? Exactly. There, there has to be something there because Liverpool were also heavily linked at one point. And I think they actually needed to do something in the center of midfield to give themselves more options to keep up with City. And even they didn't do that. So I'm sure over the next couple months, we'll find out what's happening there. Um, but for, also, there's this thing about his contract where any bid over $35 million, um, if Sporting rejected the bid, they would pay him $5 million up front and then double his wages on top of that. I don't know how that affects that, but as of today, no single team launched an official bid for Bruno Fernandes. They all did inquiries, but none launched a bid. That is weird. That, that, that is bizarre. Some, something is not right about, yeah, as you said, either the him, either him or Sporting Lisbon in, in terms of trying to negotiate with them. But that, that's bizarre. But, I mean, it does leave United extremely short in centre midfield. You let, well, Ander Herrera ran his contract down and went to Paris Saint-Germain. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who else? Uh, so, so basically, you've still got Matic, Pogba, um, Fred McTominay, Pereira. Right. It's so, not an inspiring list of names. I mean, Fred's, Fred can, by default, will have a better season than he did last time. But it's really not saying much. I, I do feel strangely, Fred, I think Fred's a good player. I think, I think for me, no matter what anyone thinks, whenever Pep is interested in someone, there's something technically in him. Whether he works out or not, it's up to the player, right? Like Pep makes mistakes, obviously. That doesn't mean it. He was interested in Alexis Sanchez, which would have been a failure even at the city. But um, technically, there's something there. How do you bring it out of him? I don't know. McTominay, I think he's a good player. I really do. I've seen enough of him now from last season to this preseason to know he's good. But do I want him starting? Not really. So then, then you have the question of... Um, uh, Solskjaer said something very interesting in preseason where he said, yeah, we lost Andrew Herrera. One of the ways we can accommodate for that is to switch formations, which in preseason, he's gone to a 4-2-3-1. So that means you don't have to play the three, which is... Pogba, Matic, and Herrera, you can just play two. Pogba playing deeper, similar to what he does with France, which Solskjaer has said at least 10 times that he wants to do that. So <laughs> if you get McTominay, which is what it looks like, and Pogba as a two, I'm okay with that. McTominay covers enough ground, tackles well, passes well, 90% pass accuracy, all that good stuff. As long as Pogba's consistent, that two can be okay. But that's not insurance to me. Pogba gets injured, you're done. You're absolutely done. And yeah. I'm shocked that a club of this size is allowing that to be the case. Yeah, I mean, I, frankly, if Pogba gets injured, I think genuinely you're looking at playing Juan Mata as a central midfielder just because there's no one else with any creativity there unless Fred has some kind of breakout season. But do you really think that, that McTominay is going to start over Matic yes. to begin the season? Yep. Yeah. Uh, seen enough okay. in preseason. Uh, all the games that we've played... 
The difference in the two is stark. Matic takes four touches on the ball, has no idea what he's doing. McTominay, that boy gets the ball, move, 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 move. He does, it's very, very quick passing. He presses very well, and his tackle success rate is great. So I'm ready for him to make that next step. I would rather have had someone else in there, but everything I've seen from him is encouraging enough that I'm okay with McTominay next to Pogba. But it's scary to think, again, McTominay will do that hard worker thing, right? Like, he's going to do that. But who's going to do the creative side? Andreas? What? Like, like no, I'm not, I'm not into that. That, that. that made me absolutely furious. I was fuming. I, I understand that, especially because your wide players, your forwards, are not particularly creative. Rashford's not particularly creative. Marshall, you know, similar types of players, explosive, but not, not the kind of a playmaker coming in from wide. They're more forwards than they are, you know, playmakers. Um, but let's talk about quickly your other two signings, because I think these two are very good signings. Maguire, at center back, who I think you've overpaid for, but you had to, whatever. Uh, and Aaron Wambasaka, I really like, and I know you're a big fan of too. I, I am... To be honest, this gave me hope when these two came in. I thought, ooh, we're doing, <laughs> we're doing sensible things. This is, this is unlike us. Because Aaron Wambasaka, oh my God. When we signed him, I thought, this is good. But when I saw him play, Alex, this is a true stat. He has his tackle success rate. I know it's only preseason. is 100%. <laughs> like, like, he's faced different teams. Inter, Spurs, whatever. No one has dribbled him 100% tackle success rate. That's, it won't be like that in the Premier League. We get that. But you finally, since Raphael, and even Raphael was, was nuts, okay? So yeah. you, we, this is a right, proper right back. First one that we've had since Gary Neville. Oh, my God. Like, do you know what that means to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand. I understand, man. He's, he's very exciting. Um, and it, it's rare these days that, and I know you love a defensive pullback, but it's rare these days to, to really get excited about someone for their defensive capabilities as opposed to going forward. And I think he has, he has areas to improve. Like he has room to improve in, in his attacking play, but he's basically impossible to get past at the moment. And that is... That must be, you know, the rest of the defense must feel so secure having him there. And that's, that's a huge confidence boost to the back four. Absolutely. He, he, if in terms of crossing and assist, that's where he has to improve. But that's also a function of the game changing literally last season because Trent and Robertson did madness. Uh, I, I think they've skewed our perception of what fullbacks can do in the Premier League. But in terms of dribbles and take-ons, he had the most in the league last season for a fullback. So he gives you that penetration and spreads the, the play and, and, and makes the pitch wider with his play, which Ashley Young, thank God, he, like, thank God he's going to be either on the bench or not in the team anymore because of this. I am ecstatic, just ecstatic. Um, I'm just going to point out that he is still your captain. I, I don't care. I, 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 you know what? For me... A lot of people are mad about that, but Ole Gunnar Solskjaer doesn't make that decision unless the players back it. That's, that's, pe- people think that this is football manager. <laughs> He's going <laughs> to ask the players what they think. And if the players think Ashley Young is the captain, that's who's going to be the captain. It's not just going to be Ole who makes that decision. Um, but let's focus Fair on enough. the good stuff. I don't want to talk about Ashley Young anymore. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Uh, Maguire, I am so happy with this. So happy with this. This is a good defender. Finally, 
someone who can lead, orchestrate a defense. He's great in the air. He's the best aerial defender in the Premier League. Thank God. He dribbles for a slow bastard. He dribbles. And he's brilliant at passing the ball. He's slow as hell, which is a problem. But all the other things I talked about, he does brilliantly. And I'm so happy about that. More than you know, I'm happy. More than you know. <laughs> Good evening. Uh, no, I, I, you, you summed <laughs> him up very well. He's a very interesting player. He, he looks like a rugby player. He dribbles like Raquel May. Uh, but, yeah, he, he's slow as a, as a tugboat. <laughs> he's, he's a very interesting mix of qualities. But I think he massively improves your back line, especially in games. United have come... Uh, uh, I've got to the point now where if you're playing like a City or a Spurs or a Liverpool, you're going to be defending for most of that time. And Maguire is definitely a very good deep defender. He will head things out of your box for days. He will organize. Um, I think he might run into trouble if people try and knock the ball over the top if you're playing a high line or something. But hopefully you can just rely on Wan-Bissaka to chase back and, and sort everything out there. Well, you, it's, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, the, the thing that he allows you to do is now you have two players that can actually bring the ball out from the back, which supplements the, the midfield and the attack. It takes a lot of pressure off um, midfield in order to progress the ball because Smalling, I'm sorry, that guy could not do that <laughs> for, for a second. And now Lindelof, they can, they can rotate. Lindelof is slow but faster than Maguire, so he can cover um, at least. And then you have Shaw who's been improving and is fast as well. So what this does, it gives you a defense that is better than Chelsea, it's better than Arsenal, probably considering Danny Rose is wishy-washy and I don't know what's happening with um, right back at Spurs, it's probably better than Spurs now. So you now have probably, at least on paper, the third best defense in the league. That is a massive, massive bonus. And the only thing I can stand up on here and say I'm really, really happy about from Manchester United. Yep, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I, I, I wonder whether... I, I think on paper, it is a very good back four. I wonder whether Solskjaer tactically and the rest of the United team is good enough to allow it to kind of stand out in the way that it should as a defence. But we'll, we'll, we'll see. At least you've made two very good signings and Daniel James is a, is a whatever signing. You know, if it works, great. If it doesn't, whatever. Um, but uh, I would say United are slightly, very slightly better than they were last season. But talk to me about Romelu Lukaku, because for me, this has been one of the most bizarre things all season. And I, people have seemed to accept it quite easily, but I'm very confused. For a start, I don't really understand why he was frozen out. Um, and I don't understand why United was so okay with getting rid of him, A, without a replacement, mm-hmm. because yes, he had a bad year. Yes, his first touch could seriously uh, be improved, but he throughout his career has been a goal machine. He's a 15 to 25 goal season striker in, in a good team. Sure. Um, and, and so losing that is quite substantial. He's also, you know, United do have other strikers in, in Rashford, Martial, and Greenwood, but they're all of a similar, similar type. Lukaku is completely different. He gives you a completely different option in, the, in his physicality and, and hold-up play, even though, again, it's an area that could be improved and his aerial ability. So 
you know, you lose you lose a variety to your game. Um, and then from Lukaku's point of view, I, I cannot fathom why he wants to join Inter Milan. And clearly, you know, he likes the fact that Conte really wants him. But beyond that, again, we'll touch on it again. Not a great time for black players to go to Serie A. Um, or, frankly, to be an ethnic minority in Italy, societally. Uh, you know, you're only going to compete for the title if Juventus massively slip up or if the Sari experiment goes massively wrong. And they have absolutely no hope of winning the Champions League. For a start, their squad's not good enough. And secondly, uh, Antonio Conte's history in the Champions League is absolutely horrendous. So I don't really understand the draw for Lukaku either. I'll, Can you I'll, make any sense out of this whole thing? I'll, I'll sum it up in that um, Lukaku was only ever going to come off the bench for Manchester United. That, that was the fact. That's how it was going to work out. Why? Because when you look at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and look at how he wants to play, let's forget the, the man for a second. Let's talk about the style of play that he wants to play. He wants to play exactly how Liverpool, exactly how Tottenham play, which is a high press. Whenever he brought Lukaku into the team to do that, Lukaku could not press. There is a statistic, um, stats bomb on Twitter did a statistical comparison of Rashford and Lukaku and then uh, <clears throat> Mandzukic because Mandzukic was supposed to, supposedly supposed to be the replacement for Lukaku, but Man United said, we're not paying 14 million and 150K a week for you and close that chapter. Lukaku had the single worst pressing stats of the three and it was not even close. When you look at defensive contributions, blocks, tackles, all that sort of thing, it was bad. He was nowhere near. When you look at distance covered of any top six striker, Higuain covered more ground than uh, Lukaku. And Higuain gets all the fat jokes. So when you look <laughs> at his actual application on the pitch, it was piss poor. Because all Lukaku does, really, and you guys know on the part, I defended him for so long. It's play the ball, through ball into the channels, um, in behind the striker or cross the ball. So that's how he was playing. So when you look at that and you go, would he start philosophically at Liverpool? And I'm talking not man for man, just philosophically at Liverpool, at Spurs, it would never happen. So that's why he started on the bench. When you also look at when was United's best period on the Solskjaer, it was when Lukaku was on the bench because they were playing more progressive, high-tempo pressing play with Marcus Rashford which fell apart when everyone got injured and their fitness died because they were not fit in the first place. So you look at all those things and you go, Romelu, you're going to be on the bench. Romelu Lukaku is probably still too good to be on a bench. And he knows that. So he wants to leave. And then he wants to go to the guy that he's missed out on twice in his career already. I think, I think that's the thing. I don't think it's Inter Milan. I think it's Conte because Conte tried to get him two times. Um, once while he was Juventus manager and of course, when that whole Lukaku Morata fiasco thing happened. So yeah. when you look at it like that, tactically, it doesn't make any sense for Manchester United to keep Lukaku unless Lukaku is willing to come off the bench. And if he's not, you get your money back, which is exactly what United did. Then the whole Mandzukic thing, it made sense to me because he would come off the bench, give you an option to hold up the ball, which again, Lukaku is terrible at holding up the ball which gives you a, a, a plan B, or maybe if Rashford isn't doing so well, play Mandzukic. It will be better for this team the way they want to play because he holds it up and can spread it out to the wings. 
Lukaku could never do any of those things. So he is a great scorer, and I was a very big fan of his. But honest to goodness, there was no way this was ever going to work. It just wouldn't have worked. He's not the type of player to play that type of way. Okay, fair enough. That was a good explanation. Thank you. I feel slightly better about things now. <laughs> yeah, when, <laughs> when I saw the statistics about every, the pressing and all that, because now they have a stat called uh, presses per game or something like that. <laughs> of course and, they do. And, and when I saw that, it, it made it very clear to me, this is, this is not going to work. It's, it's, it, it wouldn't work at Spurs. It wouldn't work at Liverpool. It's not going to work at Man United. Fair enough. All right, we have been chatting for about 50 minutes, so we should cover some other teams, no? Yes, let's do that. Let's go on to... Uh, oh, but before I do that, I just want to say Glazers out, Woodward out. I'm so mad, and I hate all of them. Okay, now I got that in there. So um, let's go to Spurs. Oh, did they do some good business? Oh, my God. Uh, it took a long time, but it got done in the end. They, I think they won deadline day. They didn't win the window, but they definitely won deadline day. I, I think any day in which you bring in Giovanni Lo Celso uh, and Ryan Sessegnon is it, a really good day. And th- there's something about the, the Lo Celso deal that has uh, gone... <laughs> I mean, this is pure Levy, right? So part of the thing about Lo Celso was that PSG were due to get 20% of any transfer fee that anyone paid for him. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was kind of driving up the price and stuff, right? Um, And so what Spurs or Levy in particular and Betis worked out is that they could loan the Celso to Tottenham for for 16 million and then give them the option to buy him for 45. Thus, PSG only get 20% of 45 million, not 20% (laughs) of the 70 or so million that it would have been otherwise. Just classic. I, I, I have to say, North London has the best accountants. That's why, <laughs> the, the way Salehi pulled one out, out the bag and the way Levy did this, props to whatever yeah. they got in North London, credit to them, because ma- that was majestic business. It, it really was. Now, the, what, what is interesting about the Lo Celso transfer in particular is that the rumors about him started at the beginning of the summer as soon as Christian Eriksen said that he wanted to leave uh, for a different challenge. Now, Lo Celso is someone that could play with him, but could also replace him. And Eriksen has said no to a, a move within England. He wants to go to Spain, mm-hmm. possibly Italy. So it will be very interesting now to see with 11 months on his contract whether he ends up moving uh, or whether he ends up signing like a maybe one or two year deal with with a clause in it saying if Real Madrid come in you can go. I, I, th- I think Ericsson might go now because now that United have left their lines with signing a midfielder, they cannot sell Paul Pogba. It makes no sense to do that, and it's been touted that Ericsson is the alternative. Real Madrid, in my opinion, just have to go for Ericsson right now, and Spurs can sell. They don't care. They're 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 fine to do that now. They're they're too stacked. I mean, I still think it's risky on their part. When you just look at the amount that he has contributed in terms of goals and assists, double figures for both every season he's been there. Even if you have Lo Celso, who's just come in no preseason, uh, needs time to bed in, even if you have quality there, it's a massive risk to your numbers to, to let someone like Ericsson go. But they, you're right, they may not have any choice. And it just occurred to me that it would be really funny if Real Madrid end up with Bruno Fernandes. <laughs> 
that that rumor actually did um like a week ago it started to come up that would be really really, really? funny yeah it, it would be it, it's not very strong because van de beek is linked there and ericsson's mm. obviously linked there but it, it it is a rumor it, it is a rumor um that that has surfaced um recently uh funny. but no spurs sessignon sessignon is one of those that kind of upset me in a sense that last season and this is it depends who signs a person last season was not a good season. And there are a lot of people that were very down on Sessignon after last season. Um, you know, some of Mohamed in particular, we just got to have to give him a shout out whenever he's not here. Um, but a lot of people now when Spurs time go, Oh, that's great. It's like, ah, well, you know, I, I get it. Pacino has a good record, but you, it's, it's one or the other. I think he's still a good player personally. I mean, I, I love, yeah. him, so I love young players. So it interests me seeing young players. Um, but there's a lot of people saying, two different things and I think that's kind of weird yeah I think a lot of people jumped to conclusions last season I mean really if you're going to start judging what was an 18 year old left back slash winner on his first season in the Premier League with a massively dysfunctional Fulham team when he's in and out the side with team changes every 10 minutes they went through what two Managers last season? Three? Yep, yep like, like three of them. It's just not a basis on which to judge a player. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. The, the fact are that Ryan Sessegnon has been a standout youth player for years in England and has been a key part of the, the England squads that have won you know, under 17s and 21s and what have you. Um, and yes, when you, when you marry that with Pochettino's record of improving young players and especially fullbacks it does look promising my question is where he's going to play because unless they sell Danny Rose in the next couple of weeks to a European club Ben Davis just signed a new contract Danny Rose is still there Sessegnon's probably not going to start on the wing over Son or or Moura I'm interested to see where his opportunities will come I'm sure they will because they've just spent 25 million on him I'm just not sure where I, I don't think he has any rush. I think, I think he, they will get rid of Danny Rose, um, I think. I think there will be some team in, in, in Europe that will do that. Um, and I think uh, he then has an opportunity to fight with Ben Davis. I think Ben Davis will start, and then he gets to prove himself at 18, 19, wherever his age is. He's got a lot of time. It's a little bit like the Mason Greenwood thing at United. Good, good player. No need to rush him in. Let them, let them prove themselves. And Sessegnon is good enough that I think, I don't think he's better than Ben Davis by a long shot, but I think he has a chance to really prove himself and take, and take it to the level that, that he can. Oh, for sure. I, th- I think his ceiling is way higher, but I don't think he's there yet. Yeah. Um, but the, I suppose, so they also signed Jack Clark, a winger, and loaned him back to Leeds. And yeah, their other massive signing was Tangi and Dombele, who was one of Europe's most coveted central midfielders. By, by all accounts, the guy has everything. He's a very complete midfielder. And because it was done so long ago now, uh, there hasn't been much talk of this, but for me, this is the main signing, really. I agree. This, this, to me, it's the signing of the summer, um, as far as the Premier League is concerned. Everyone wanted this guy, every top team. Um, they convinced him. He wasn't in it for money. Definitely. He was in it for the project. He's the player that believed in the Pochettino project. Um, more so than, you know, there's a lot of people that, that there are lots of players, most players I would say, believe in a project and money. You know, you have to have the combination. 
Um, yeah. That's not the case in this. It's he just wanted to go there, and he made that happen. So uh, I think that's the signing of the summer for me personally. Um, and I think they've improved. They still have the same problem that they have, though, which is there's no backup for Harry Kane. And every summer we wonder what's going to happen. Where's that backup? What's going on? And there isn't still. Um, but I, who knows? I think I think Pochettino. Well, they've also let Irenti go, and they might re-sign him on a free trade. I don't know, but. I think Pochettino is basically resigned to the fact that he can't bring in a striker of a good enough quality who is also willing to sit there on the bench. It's kind of like the Lukaku thing um, and be Kane's backup. And so what he does is Son and Mora are the backup strikers who can also play wide. Yep. I, I think maybe with, with Lo Celso coming in, because he's going to take up a more creative role and, I think Dele Alli could be pushed out to the wing a little bit, and then Lucas Mora might be a sub-striker. I think that could, that could be it. Yep. All right, last, very last thing on Spurs is that they, A, managed to sell Vincent Janssen finally, and B, in one of the most interesting transfers of the summer, sold Kieran Trippier, to, uh, Kieran Trippier to Atletico Madrid. Just tell me how you think he will do. Uh, is this a yes or a no for you? No. Um, no. <laughs> And this is for someone I once jokingly called the best right back in England because I have an agenda against Kyle Walker, who I still have an agenda against. Uh, no, no. He, he looks too Brexit to me to, to succeed overseas. Um, he but, does look like a gargoyle. I don't think he <laughs> might do okay. I think if anyone's going to teach you to defend it, it's Diego Simeone, but we, we will see. This um, is true. You want to talk about uh, Manchester City? Yeah, let, firstly, let's just say we won't talk about Liverpool because they did no business. Um, they're keeping it right. as is, which might be okay, but they're not going to... I think there'll be a bigger gap between them and City this season because people are year older, uh, and I don't believe in Ox or Lalana. Uh, that said, they're going to finish second and Champions League semifinals again. Yay! Uh, anything to on. add on Liverpool? This isn't one of those, like, we no. don't want to talk about Liverpool things. Just, just, just a preview pod and transfer pod, so there's nothing to really say there. Yeah, no, I, th- I think they're going to be great. I think they're going to be really good again. Um, I, I understand that, basically, their philosophy this summer was we're only going to sign transformational players, like players that really, you know, start in the first 11 and make a difference, like Alisson, like Van Dijk. And, frankly, their midfield is stacked. Their back four is great. They could maybe have done with a backup left back because they let Moreno go, but apparently there's a kid in the academy who's really good there. So you could argue that they could maybe have used another forward that isn't Divock Origi because he got kind of lucky last season. But I kind of get, I kind of get why they didn't do anything. Yeah, if you win the Champions League and you have a decently aged squad, it might be better just keep the unity in that squad. Yep. Um, okay, so let's touch on Man City to end. Um, uh, obviously, we will touch on some other... We might do another pod where we talk about the rest of the clubs, but let's talk about Man City. Um, not too much business, but important business, though, I would say. I think Rodri, um, I think now their record, 70 million was his release clause, which is interesting because um, that's a good player. I mean, that's a, that's a very good player. There's no doubt about that to me. Um, people see him as the heir in Spain to uh, Sergio Busquets, which, of course, we know uh, Pep brought him up. Um, but in reality, Rodri has had... He really came to the fore, what, last season? At Atletico Madrid? One season there? Showed how good he was? And then 
Mancini said, let's do that. So I think it's going to work out. I'm just saying that it, there is an inherent risk in that um, there, although he was good at Villarreal, but not 70 million good at Villarreal. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, pe- people who follow La Liga closer than us, you know, were raving about him in his Villarreal days, got him the move to Atleti. And though he was, though, you know, he displayed how good a player he was, it was the consensus really that Atleti was not a good fit for him. And I remember uh, listening to Graham Hunter, who was talking, as you said, about Rodri really being the heir to Busquets and how well he would fit in at Barcelona and how he couldn't believe that Barcelona hadn't bought Rodri. Um, and they've made amends for that now by buying Frankie de Jong. But when someone says he's a good fit for Barcelona, what they're also telling you is a good fit for Pep Guardiola. And so uh, yes. I think they finally found the, the heir to Fernandinho. Um, which is not easy because Fernandinho has been magical, like absolutely magical and pivotal to this team for the last few years. So to have someone now that they can actually trust who can take that position and make it their own for the next however many years is is, uh, is a massive step, especially if it allows Fernandinho to maybe step in at centre-back where they're now a bit short given uh, company left. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Yeah, uh, Rodri, you know, it, it, the, the thing that I find interesting about this is that they've replaced Fernandinho while Fernandinho was here. <laughs> so yeah, the, the, it, it just adds to their amazing squad depth. Um, well, but, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say they replaced David Silva with Bernardo Silva and they replaced Yaya Toure with Kevin De Bruyne. They, this is what they do, man. They get you before you're gone. That shows that a director of football is very important, and I'm not bitter about it at all. Not, not, not one even little bit bitter. Mm-mm, not me. Um, but another <laughs> madness by uh, Chiki and uh, Serrano. My God, they got Joao Cancelo from Juventus, and they gave them – well, actually, so it was um, James Ducker from The Telegraph, I think it was, actually said these are two separate transactions. Um, people thought it was yes. a swap deal, but it's not really. It's $65 million for Cancelo, um, which makes Cancelo the world's most expensive fullback, taking that from Juan Bissaka and Kyle Walker, I believe. Um, fair enough. And Danilo went the other way. I cannot, for the life of me, understand why Juventus did this deal. Are they poor? <laughs> this is what I'm trying to understand. Are Juventus actually poor? I mean, if... I think they must be. I mean, so here's the thing. If anything is a demonstration of how much Juventus crippled themselves to sign Cristiano Ronaldo, it is selling one of the world's best fullbacks for 20 million more than they bought him for uh, one year in after he had an outstanding at least first half of the season that Mm -hmm. showed how good he was. I mean, Jao Cancelo, it's really hard for me to put into words just how good this guy can be. He, he, he's like having a winger and a good fullback at the same time. He's just, he's so good, Bernie. This is so annoying. How has City done this? It's literally cheeky for Gerestein. <laughs> unbelievable. And I don't understand what Juventus are doing unless, because here's the thing. They, I know they need money, especially because they haven't been able to get rid of Iguain, and so they need to be able to pay him, and that's a lot of money as well. But because they bought Danilo for 25 to 30 million euros anyway, 
they've only made 30 million net on, on, on this deal. So like, that can't be the difference between the red line and the black line, can it? I, I'm, I'm totally confused by this because they've been absolutely mugged off by City here. I mean, it's, it's, it could, they've been, they've been trying to sell him since the beginning of this window anybody who would take Cancelo, which, which it, I don't understand what happened there, but they, to me, they've been mugged off. Danilo is not very good, in my opinion. Um, they were even looking at Darmian at some point, so clearly they were looking at just trash to, <laughs> to, to, and getting rid of Cancelo. But it, it follows a similar theme. I know we're talking about Premier League here, but they tried to offload Dybala to both Manchester United and to Tottenham. Both deals, both clubs could not agree terms wage-wise, and uh, image rights wise, to the point that uh, Juventus, uh, not Juventus, Dybala's agent charged Manchester United 15 million to start negotiating for his image rights. So they've been frustrated in getting players out of the club as they've gotten Delit, as they got Ronaldo last year. Um, but then I thought they were doing all right because they got uh, Ramsey and um, uh, Rabio for free. So I thought they were fine. But clearly there's something wrong and it could be a ronaldo size hole but with raiola they probably paid him like 20 million to get the lit as well so they have to cover their bases somehow i think they've got themselves in a real jam with those two players agreed and we're not gonna we're not gonna have time to talk about other clubs so we're not gonna get to everton but they also sold moise ken who is one of europe's best young strikers you know an italy you know, he just broke into the Italy team. He was brilliant at under 21. He's one of Italy's top young strikers, obviously. It, it, it's a really annoying time to be, and this is why I want you to do that Juve pod, because their fans are furious. They're furious that they've, they've sold Moise again. They're furious that they tried to sell the Bala, even though it looks like it's not going to happen. They must be furious at, at getting rid of Jao Cancelo. And all of this, you're right, has to be to accommodate... Ronaldo and Iguain financially and paying agent fees. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and and, Deli- and Raiola. And, and you look at it in, in terms of Man City, and I just say to myself, again, this is where a great director of football comes in because they absolutely mugged off one of the best teams in Europe. That's what they did, who usually have a very good transfer operation in Juventus. Man City mugged them off. And maybe Juventus wanted to be mugged off. Like... By the way, if in case you hear me say mugged off a lot, is because I just finished watching the whole season of Love Island because of Twitter drove oh, me no. to it. It's, 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 honestly, it was so addictive. We, my wife and I watched it in a week. So we've been saying things like mugged off and let's have a chat for like weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, that was sensational. And we've gone way over time, so we don't have time to talk about Ismail Assar at Watford or mm. Danny Welbeck at Watford or I'm just doing a quick glance here. Leicester, Leicester, Dennis Prey at Leicester. Although um, Leicester have, this is why I don't think Leicester will do very much because Tillemans a great signing, Pret, um good signing as well, but they have not replaced um, Maguire, which is weird. Well, because that defense uh, is not they, good outside of that. I mean, Chilwell, yes, and Pereira, yes, but woohoo, Johnny Evans and who? I'm, I'm going to give you some, some FM-based knowledge here, which is that they do have two young centre-backs, one who is Turkish and whose name I cannot remember, uh, but he's a very promising young centre-back 
the other is a guy called Philip Benkovic, who has been who they bought a couple of years ago, I think, and who has been on loan at Celtic and is also supposed to be, you know, the real deal. So if they go with those those young guys next to Evans, I'm not sure they're going to suffer too much, but we'll see. Yeah, that kind of scares me because you you've lost leadership, aerial ability, passing, authority, um, captain material, and then bringing in that. Next to Johnny Evans, who I do rate, but not that highly. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. I'm yeah, not a. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. With, with Wilfred and Didi prowling around in front of him, I think they'll be okay. My man Wilfred. Uh, what did What did Wolves do? They, they signed they, they signed Raul Jimenez permanently. Uh, they got oh, they've done some weird shit. They got Patrick Cutrone from Milan for 16 million. I don't know why they wasted their money on that personally, but okay. Uh, um, Jesus Vallejo on loan from Real Madrid. That's a good signing in defense. They uh, were rumored with Frank Cassie, um on deadline day. I'm just checking in to see if it happened or not. I don't think so. Well, I don't think they did it. No, no. Um, it doesn't look like they were able to get Frank Cassie or Rugani, who they tried to sign. So they've improved, but not as much as you would have thought they would improve. So um, I think they'll be exactly where they were last year. Fair enough. They also have the Europa League to deal with. So I think that might knock a few points off their Premier League tally, but we shall see. West Ham, uh, Pablo Fornal is a very good signing from Villarreal. They also signed uh, Sebastian Aller. Um, I think he's good, actually. From, from Frankfurt for 40 million, which is, I mean, West Ham have been looking for a good striker for as long as I can remember. So maybe they've got it now. I, I think he's good. I, 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 again, this is Scout Nation. Shout out to Scout Nation, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, from the looks of it, I think he's good. Um, Aston Villa signed everyone in this world. Um, yeah. No one I particularly care for, though, which is dangerous, except for Tom Heaton, who will probably keep them up on his own. Um, yeah, I, oh, I don't. Speaking of which, uh, Burnley signed Danny Drinkwater, so he might play a game of football. They're they're so bad. They're actually so bad. I'm trying to see if anyone they sign is black or not. Um, they all look very white. Let's see. Bailey Peacock Farrell is a white person. Okay, cool. Uh, we keep Jay Rodriguez, Eric Peters. I mean, forget it, man. <laughs> oh god. Oh, they're funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Premier League this weekend kicks off fr- uh, tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow. Yeah, Liverpool and... Liverpool against Norwich. Yes. And uh, that'll be fun because they always win that game 5-0. So that's (laughs) going to be brilliant. Although Suarez isn't here, but I think that will happen. And then what is going to be the most intriguing game is Man United-Chelsea, two teams who are going to play youth players and have relatively inexperienced... Well, actually, that's in the service to Solskjaer because Lampard really is inexperienced. But we get the idea. Two legends who yeah. are not, not top of the top of the top tier managers going against yeah. each other. It's going to be a high press nation. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking forward to that game. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. I cannot wait for the season to kick off, and I cannot wait to do another pod after the weekend uh, to talk about it all. Absolutely. All uh, right. I'll leave it there. Yes, sir. So uh, just want to say thanks, Alex. This is our first one on Zoom, so we'll see how this goes, and we might do a couple of these. And um, good day, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone except for Ed Woodward. <laughs> Seconded. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for downloading the Koshcast. Get in touch at underthekoshblog at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter at under underscore the kosh, and for articles, predictions, and the full experience, go to underthekoshblog.com. Thank you.